0: We are really glad that you're here. We are in this series on love, and uh, it is really fun for us to do it. And we've been in a, in a little mini-series this uh, February on, on marriage. And the idea two weeks ago, I gave a sermon on sort of the theological foundations of marriage. It was called Four Reasons Why God May Have Written Marriage into Your Story. And if you didn't get to see that, I'd recommend that you go uh, get that because it was foundational to all this. And then, man, last week, if you were here, Ben and Katie uncorked right about here. Did you see that? Were you here for that sermon? Where are they, by the way? Mike? No Mike. She was, uh, she was out of control. And um, so my wife's like, what are we going to do this week? And I'm like, you're going to sit there and be quiet is what you're going to do. Just kidding. Um, this is marriage we're talking about this, uh, this, this month. And you know what? We said, if you're single, this, this month is still about reflecting on the beauty of what God has created in marriage. Uh, we got married friends. We got people we can minister to that are married. Some of us hope to be married if we're not married, some of us. Uh, and we all can learn about a relationship with God. Because marriage, that's what's so beautiful about marriage is God said, here's one of the ways that you're going to understand the beauty of what marriage is all about. Uh, if you, uh, I mean, what beauty of what what my relationship with you is about is if you get to see marriage and vice versa. And so there's this. We hope that there's something that that everybody gets out of this um, marriage series. And we got one more week next week. Art's going to bring it. And um, you are inviting Brenda up front or no? All right, yeah. Didn't even get the sentence out of my mouth. He's all no. Um, yeah. Then we can just say whatever we want and 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 it it doesn't have to be true. So. Um, This week, it's a fun week because it's Valentine's week. Did you have a good Valentine's Day? Did that work out for you pretty well? Hey, if you're married and you're a wife, uh, was Valentine's Day, raise your hand if it was above a six on a one to ten scale, okay? Ouch. Some of you are this way. If you're a guy and you're married, uh, was Valentine's Day above a six on a one to ten, put your hand up if you're a guy and that was, yeah, totally. You're like, yeah, I nailed it, yeah. Costco roses and you're in. What do you need? (laughs) Right? Uh, Jonathan, you were in Chicago, right? Did I hear that? So your wife posts on Facebook. Did you see that? (laughs) People who have romances on Facebook, it's always, this was Jonathan's, uh, Ann posted about Jonathan's message to her on Valentine's Day. They were separated over a distance because he was uh, traveling for work and And Anne said, let me see if I got this right. Anne said, Jonathan uh, said that I am a cross, being married to me is a cross between a romantic comedy and an action adventure film. Did I get that right? How is that a compliment? (laughs) Did you like that, Anne, that he said that? You thought it was a good thing? (laughs) It was. Yeah. All right. Well done. Way to put that together. I think. And I like this message on Valentine's Day because this morning we're going to talk about stoking the fire. We're going to talk about stoking the fire, sparks and flames and marriage. Because here's the deal. When we talk about marriage and we joke about marriage, and if you go and you, you, I mean, if you Google clean jokes about marriage, and you see, they're always about, it's always rather demeaning. The jokes about marriage are always about how hard it is and how lame it is and how boring it is. And it's sort of, we have this sort of common vernacular about, about putting down marriage. You know, the jokes about the, the older couples, ah, well, I told you I loved you when I married you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. You know, that kind of stuff. And, and it's just one joke after another is about how kind of lame all of our marriages are. And I think, you know what, that doesn't honor God. I want to talk about stoking the fire. I, want to, I think God is about the spark. And I think God created that spark. And if you don't know that, you just got to look in the scriptures a little bit. I want you, this morning's scriptures from the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, have you read that lately? Somebody snuck into your Bible and put some spicy stuff. Some of you may think, no, that's about us and Jesus. Well, Jesus isn't in here, but there's all kinds of body parts that are. I mean, this is, I'm telling you, this is about human love. And it's a celebration of that because God said we would be one flesh. And so uh, there's some stuff in here. You look at the very beginning of Song of Solomon, verse one, chapter 1, verse 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes or of your cologne. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Come on now. Who snuck that into your Bible? <laughs> PG-13, baby, right here in God's word. You know, if you read this stuff in the, in the uh, if you read Song of Solomon in like a modern paraphrase or translation, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like, hey, no wonder people think you're so hot. Quick, come get me. Take me to bed. That's the, that's the language that's in here. And uh, if your children are in here, it's not going to get any worse than this. So don't worry about it. Um, we're not talking about sex this morning. But this uh, this, this, is this love, this passion, there's a fire with regard to that. That's the beginning of Song of Songs. If you look at the end of Song of Songs, uh, chapter 8, verse 14. Come away, she says, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. She's all, you're my stud. That's what she's saying in this thing. And then in the middle, in the middle, he says in chapter four, I've been, I've been in this book all week. Can you tell that? And first gathering, I said, Linda, I goes, that's does that explain some stuff to you? How, how beautiful you are, my darling, he says, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves, your hair, oh man, this does it, is like a flock of goats, I mean, I don't get the cultural references in some of the Hebrew. I don't get all that stuff. But in here is this, you know, how delightful is your love, my bride? How much more pleasing is your love than wine? Let my beloved come into his garden and taste his choice fruits. And then in chapter 8, these words with regard to the spark and to flame. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a locket. And like a seal on your arm, or maybe that was like a signet ring. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. One translator said, you can't buy love, you can't sell love. It's worth everything. This is the picture that God's word gives us, you guys, of marital love. Man, whoa, it is it is not boring. It's not lame. It's not ho-hum. It's not a joke. It's passionate, and it's on fire. This reflects the intimacy that we said that marriage is a reflection of, this relational God who has this relational component, who gave man and a woman, the ability to have that dynamic. He created them in his image and said, You're deeply intimate and relational. And This marital love is sort of the epitome of that thing. And that, friends, is on fire. That, friends, is deep and rich and a spark. So I want to talk this morning about how to keep that fire burning. Listen, it does not honor God when we let our marriages, especially those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, when we let our marriages become boring and old hat and dying and lame, it doesn't honor God because he created it to be a picture of intimacy and depth and passion and heart. So how do we keep the spark? Anybody want it? You were ready to go on that ride this, today? You want to do that? We just go home? We want to go home? Here's top 10 in my book. We're going to zoom through them because God's got one of them for you, I think. This is just like one that like you're going to go like, dude, that's for me. And your spouse thinks all of them are for you. So you'll get the elbow every point. And, uh, and for you, just maybe there's a spirit's elbow in here. Here we go. Let's zoom through them. Ready? Number one, how to keep the fire burning, date. And I don't mean just date. I mean go talk. And I don't mean just talk. I mean conversation. Some people go, man, my, my wife says, my husband talks. I know that for sure. But we're talking about talking. We're talking about conversation. Being known and knowing someone stirs the fire. And when you're known by your spouse, And when you know your spouse, when you check in, it it keeps that fire burning. Studies show that marital satisfaction is directly proportional to the amount of time the couple spends alone. Without the TV, without the kids, without the other people, time alone. And sexual satisfaction is directly proportional to the amount of time that couple has spent alone. Why? Because there's interaction and there's communication and hearts are shared and we're heard. That's why dating keeps the fires burning. You ready for a couple of suggestions? One, get alone. Find out when that time is. We can't, the kids and the work and the money and the babysitting. You will not, the spark will die if you do not spend time alone having conversation with one another as adults. We can all testify to that, those of us that have been married. So get alone. Get a plan to do that. And maybe you need a plan, not just to get alone. Our plan is Wednesday nights we get alone. Wednesday nights our date night. It's a date night. I know people go, that's cute. And you sort of, it's not about being cute. It's about a plan. And on your date night, friends, or on your date or on your 10 minutes when you, I heard about a couple who when he was able to come home from work early enough uh, that they put the kids in front of the video and they went in the other room and they just sat and debriefed. They got 10 minutes every day. That's a lot more than some of us get. And it was a plan. Some of you need a plan, you go, man, I'm that couple. We're that couple that after about 15 minutes we run out of things to say. You know what, I found a website because I Googled conversation starters for Christian marriage. Seriously, how lame am I? That's my Google search engine. (laughs) And it came up, if you email me right now, grow at mcc.co, I will get you that website. But it is this awesome set of lists and this person got all these other resources all over the scriptures about how to talk about awesome things. And I thought this is gonna be as lame as Googling Christian marriage date starters or whatever, conversation starters. And when I looked at the list, I was all, God, that's awesome. It was all these deep and great questions that stopped couples and said, how are you thinking and how are you feeling and what's going on for you right now? And, it, and so get a plan and bring an outline. Hello, bring an outline, guys. And, uh, and just say, we're going to go have a, a, a date and we're going to talk about these three questions this week and the next three the next week, etc. Date and have conversation. Number two, verbally affirm your spouse. Here you go. Use your words. (laughs) Verbally affirm your spouse. We all go, well, I think that stuff, and I never get around to it, and I have these fleeting thoughts about them, and I never say stuff. There's power in words. Jesus was the living word. This is the word of God that's been given to us. Words have power. And when we use our words, there's power in them. And so we need to make that a commitment to keep the fire burning, to use our words. And, uh, you know, um, Song of Songs has that all the way through. The, the, the things they say to each other, and I don't, I don't get the deal with gazelles and towers and all that stuff, but that's a whole different culture. But we can learn the power of using words to speak and to affirm our spouse. And maybe you just need a checklist. Maybe every day you need to say, I'm going to say something that will affirm those things. Here's a couple of, uh, of categories for you. One, affirm your love and commitment. When was the last time, and I say this to, to my wife at the end of, or in the middle, of all the romantic comedies we've ever seen. I say to her, I, I, I will never do that to you. I do. And, and I'm from divorce, a family of divorce, and uh, um, deeply wounded by that. And I I tell her all the time, I'm never leaving you. She's like, I know. I'm like, that's because I've told you that for 27 years. (laughs) Uh, Affirm your love and your commitment. That's maybe one category. Use those words you think, wow, that doesn't need to be said. Yes, it does. Send an email from your desk. Just wanted you to know, I love you. I'm going to be with you forever. Use your words. Uh, Maybe another area, attractiveness. Express how attractive they are to you. You think, well, they know that use your words. I find this, you know what, today I found you so attractive when. Super great. We don't do that kind of stuff. We're not that intentional about it. Maybe another one is appreciation. So maybe you do all three of those. You do affirm your love, you do attractiveness, you do appreciation, you start over, affirm your love again. What have you said to your spouse lately that just says, you know what, This, this rocks my planet when you do this. I appreciate that so much. Those are the kinds of things that we do that just will keep the fire burning. Number three, and it's related, be positive. Be positive. It's so easy to be negative about the things that are wrong in our lives. Have you ever found that when you finally do get a date, you talk about how awful your life is for 20 minutes, and then the other person talks about how awful your children are, and then you talk about all, you know, it's all this negative stuff. Well, that's easy, and there's all kinds of negative stuff. But we want to be around people who are positive. We want to be around people who talk about dreams and hopes And faith and what is good and what's good about each other, we got to keep that into our mix and the fire will keep burning. And this includes the whole critical spirit thing. I don't know what it is about human beings that we're prone to be more critical than positive. We're critical. It's just easy to see the things that are difficult for us and that we're critical about. And here's just the question. When has that ever helped your relationship? That you're so insightful to talk about how awful a job they're doing at this or that or the other. When's that ever helped? We want to be positive. There's lots of reasons to be positive, friends, not the least of which Jesus is our Savior and he's led us into this thing and his adventure's always good. So we just got to be careful about being positive. By the way, don't you want to raise kids in a positive house where they're full of joy and laughter and love and blessing and happiness as opposed to we're so good at figuring out what's wrong with everybody and everything? Maybe that's what we ought to give up for Lent is criticism. See where that goes. Number four, romance. Do I need to tell you what this is about? Probably because it's not just about sex. This isn't about sex. Romance is any action that tells the person, you are so attractive to me. I can't wait to be with you. I'm pursuing your heart and I'm giving you my heart. And I'm giving you my thoughts and I'm giving you my time and I'm giving you my attention and I'm giving you my money because love compels me. That's what romance is. Whenever there's a sense in which love has compelled this action, even if it may be even a little bit unreasonable, that's what romance feels like. You can even ask your spouse, when do you feel like that? When do you feel like that when, I, uh, when you think I'm just compelled to give you time and attention and gifts? What does that look like for you so you know how to romance your spouse? It's in the small things. It's in the flowers. I didn't tell you about my Valentine's Day. I bought flowers at like 1045 in the morning. I wasn't going to do Valentine's Day. Sunday, a week ago, I took my wife to a great meal. We escaped all the crowds. We had our little get-together, and I literally said in her presence later in the week, there you go, check that box. I'm done with Valentine's Day. It didn't go over well. So... Because well, how does that sound like, I can't wait to be with you, I'm thinking about you, I'm pursuing your heart, here's my heart, it compels me. I'm like, checking the box four days early, I'm Mr. Efficient. That's what it felt. We had a great time, and then I felt guilty, so I took her to lunch on Tuesday, and then we had date night on Wednesday. I paid for it all week, friends, because it just, it, and, then, and then Thursday, I bought flowers at 10.45 in the morning, and then they died in my car all day long. So at 5 o'clock, 5.45, whatever it was on Thursday night, I'm driving home and I'm looking at the flowers and I'm picking them up in the car. They're literally like, roll in my front seat. And I'm like, come on, you guys. <laughs> and so I didn't know what to do. So I was going to go home and just throw them in the garbage on outside because how do you walk in with that? How romantic is that? Here's flowers, representative of my love, they're all dead. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. How, by the way... How many of you guys, how, or how many of you people would have just done the pitched them in the garbage thing? How many of you would have done that? How many of you would have just hoped that the thought counted and brought the dead flowers into the house? You understand it's a no win here, right? At it all. It's this, my love compels me, and I did. I just said, I love you. I thought about it. I had one minute today in the middle of my day, in the midst of all my work, and I'm working very, very hard, honey. And here's your dead flowers. And we, we chopped them and put them in water, put them in the fridge, and they perked up. It was awesome. My wife bringing life out of death, like Jesus. It's, <laughs> it's small stuff. It's big stuff. It's the presents. It's the gifts. It's like, what are you doing? I thought we weren't giving gifts. Yeah, but my love compelled me. I saw this. I wanted to give it to you. How are we going to pay for it? I don't know. Credit card, 21% interest. That's romance. An action that says you're so attractive, I'm pursuing you. Here's my heart and love compels me to do it. Is that built into our life? Here's related. Number five, physical. Get physical. Get physical. Sex is a gift from God and it's good. And some Christians need to remember that because they have been raised or taught that uh, sex is, uh, is, is dirty or wrong. And they also spend a lot of their time trying to honor the Lord by being sexually pure. And a lot of us have known the pain of, inapro- of sexual sin in our lives. And so we got a lot of hang-ups with sex, a lot of us Christians do. But we've got to remember that getting physical is part of what God created and gave us. And it is the ultimate expression of this ultimate relationship of intimacy, it's this beautiful picture. And so we want to get physical. If that, friends, if, if that sex is not good and it's not happening, then there's something wrong. And I just want to tell you that and remind you that. You go, you know, we live with it and we, we're Christians and we, you know, we're not connected on that level. And, and we, you know what? We, the world makes such a big deal out of sex and we just, you know, it's just not a big deal for us, friends. God created us to be physically connected and physically intimate. So this might be the prompt that you need to say, yeah, we can't live that way. If you're not having sex, you need to get some help as a Christian married couple because it's part of a healthy expression of your life. If you're not having sex, it's because there's some other wounds and some other baggage and some other resentments and some other difficulties and some other habits and some other patterns that haven't been intervened with the Spirit of God and with some healing and care. And and so I just want to encourage you. Um, sex is good and God made it. But it isn't, it's more than sex too. It's, it's touching and holding hands and brushing by one another. Are you not a hugger? I know there's some people that aren't huggers. You know this because when you hug them, they go like this. <laughs> we get that. I totally get that. Learn to be. We were made to touch and to be connected this way. Dr. Jim Burns and, and, and uh, has, has popularized this idea of the 15-second kiss. Have you heard of this? the 15 second kiss. And uh, he got it from this other psychologist who wrote a book called the 10 second kiss. And her simple thing was like 92% of couples in trouble developed greater marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction based on implementing this one thing that every day they had a 10 second kiss and he's like 15. And this 15 second kiss is just that kind of closeness does something deep and powerful in drawing and in keeping these fires burning. And I think it's because God created us for that kind of intimacy. And He said, You're gonna be one flesh. You, when was the last time, married couples, you kissed for 15 seconds without stopping? I mean, let's just. 10? I mean, it's a long kiss. First Gathering Arts, like, if I did that, I'd be late for work. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, if it leads to other things, that'd be great. So, But there's this idea of just keeping the fires burning by getting physical because it's part of who we are, and it's part of what God's created. Six, pursue adventure. Listen to this. Adventure is anything unknown or unseen and pursue that together as a married couple. That will keep the fire burning because you see each other in fresh and unusual and unexpected ways. It's different than what you normally do. You bond because you're on the same team. You become partners against some odds, against some mountain, against some challenge, against some problem that you have in your life. You you pursue adventure together. You become on the same team. Almost anything works as adventure if it's new for you. It could, it could be uh, just the stuff you've got going in your life. It could be figuring out how to live uh, on a budget because you're giving to, uh, to Compassion International and our building fund. And you're like, let's figure this out together. How do we sacrifice and face this challenge together? Raising kids is an adventure. There's all kinds of adventures that go on. No, adventure is too small. We, Linda and I went on a bike ride yesterday, 15-mile bike ride. Honey, let's go on a bike ride. She's like, okay, and then she whined the whole way, <laughs> all the way through. Is that not true? Is that not true? Yeah, you whined. And, uh, <laughs> and so, of course, what happened was is that I realized that she was not in the place to, uh, to go on a 15-mile bike ride, and she realized she wasn't in the place to go on a 15-mile bike ride as much as she thought. And... Uh, And so we worked together to make it really fun. I tried to find a way around the big hill that we had to go over to get back to our car. And then we went out for coffees afterward. It was totally fun. And then she's all, that was fun. I'm like, why did you whine all the way through? But there's an adventure that we pursued. Those are small adventures. There's big adventures. We're still glowing. We're still glowing from our 25th anniversary two years ago in April, where we had planned a trip to Italy. We realized we couldn't afford it, so we bailed on it. But two weeks before we... Uh, It was our anniversary, and we were going to go to Denny's. Two weeks before our anniversary, I just said, I can't not do this. And I had miles saved up on my credit card, and we flew to Italy on a shoestring for six days. That's all we had because our love compelled us. And we said, how are we going to afford this? We don't know. How are we going to get our jet lag that fast? We don't care. How are we going to get away from all our stuff? It doesn't matter. And we got on a plane, and we went to Italy, and we're still glowing from it. When we take an adventure together, we see one another as partners and we bond anew and fresh in different ways. And the biggest adventure, friends, is not Italy. And it's not bike rides. It's when we say we're going to serve Jesus. How do we give our lives for the glory of God together and get out there on a limb and we're partners together so the world knows Christ more because we're together And in my sermon a couple weeks ago, I said, it's one of the reasons God wrote marriage into your story is for purpose, for mission. He said, you together serve Jesus better than you were apart. So figure out how to do that. That keeps our fire burning. Number seven, fight for your spouse. Fight for your spouse. The battle, uh, this adventure we're in, we're in a battle, you guys. One of the adventures that we're in a battle, we're in a battle and it requires us to fight for one another to bring our strength to the table. I mean, we're fighting for daily battles for sure, but we're also fighting for the bigger stuff, for their growth and for their healing and for their ministry and for their heart and for our marriage to stay intact. We're fighting. That keeps the fire burning, especially, I don't know if this is just guy language, man. We fight the battle. When I marry couples, and this is where I think we fight the battle, friends. We fight the battle to give courage to our spouse. And you give courage to their fears and you give courage to their dreams. That's what we do for one another. That's what the encouragement means. It's all through the scriptures. You encourage one another daily because we're giving courage where courage is needed. And I tell these young couples when I, get, when I marry them, you figure out what it is that's holding your spouse's heart back, their fears And you speak courage into it as practically and as carefully as you can. And you find out what their dreams are. And I look at these young men and I go, do you know her dreams? Do you know her dreams of life at its fullest as a married couple living in this world for Jesus? Do you know what her dreams are, of who she can become, and what God can do through your lives? Do you know her dreams? And they go, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. You make her dreams come true. That's how we fight for one another. We bring our sword to the battle and we give courage to our husband, to our wife. That keeps the fire burning. Number eight, we receive God's, I want you to receive God's view of your spouse. Receive God's view of your spouse. Super simple meaning. Do you have God's perspective on who your spouse is? Do you know what God's perspective is of your spouse? Basically, it's two things. Your God is delighted in who your spouse is. Delighted, beside himself, giddy with who he has made them to be and what gifts they possess and what idiosyncrasies they have. Delighted in the progress that they've made and where they've come from. Delighted in what they can become and what is tomorrow for them. Our God delights in your spouse. He's not irritated at them. He hasn't lost his patience with them. He loves who they are and who they can be. And we need to ask the Spirit of God for that kind of view of our spouse. I said there were two things that God, God's view is. One, he delights in them. Two, he has grace for them. He lets all of their sin go and does not hold it against them. This is about forgiveness and giving them freedom. If we had God's delight and God's grace in just a sliver of it, this would keep our fires burning. Number nine, guard your heart. Proverbs says, you guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And if our heart's friends get distracted or broken or damaged or given away to other lovers of any kind, our heart dies and our spark goes out. We're going to keep our spark alive. We're going to keep our fires burning. We guard our heart and preserve it for our spouse. And our world is full of opportunity for us to take that resentment and that undealt with thing and give our heart away, whether it's to work or to hobbies or to the children or to pornography or to another lover. The temptations are out of control. And so we have to guard our heart and put the smack down on it so it is devoted to one person. And whatever it takes to do that, we do it. Whatever it takes to do that, we do it. And that then keeps the spark alive and allows us to keep the fire burning. And the last thing, Get in touch with your desperation. What do I mean by this? Get in touch with your desperation. get in touch with your desperate need for Jesus I mean it's it's obvious that when we talk like this about marriage and we talk about the ideal of marriage and we stop and we think about marriage and we compare ourselves to nine or ten criteria, we think this is hard and I'm far away from this and whenever I and I know that there are people who I feel this way. It's like, don't, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it because it makes me sad and, and it scares me that I'm far off the mark and I, it makes me unhappy when I, when I think about how, how messed up we are or how we're missing it in this area. It's incredibly difficult. And friends, so the temptation is for us then to live in denial and to run away from this kind of consideration and hard topics but I'm telling you to keep the fire burning, we get in touch with that desperation. We face that stuff. And here's why. I think we face it because, first, we have to come to terms with the reality that our spouse will never make us happy and deeply fulfilled and give us life at its fullest. Our spouse will never do that. And sometimes we have to face that desperation and go, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus brings life. And I've been placing an inappropriate burden on my spouse to make me happy and fulfill me. Wrong. And when we get in touch with that desperation, we go, oh, man. you're not the giver of life. Jesus is. You're my partner on this journey. It's one reason why I think we get in touch with that desperation. Don't run from it. It drives us back to the Lord as the giver of our life. Second, I think the reason we get in touch with our desperation to keep our fire burning is that because even the best of times in marriage require a capacity well beyond mine. Just to live in in a home with somebody and try to love them and be selfless and give my heart to them and pursue these things requires a capacity beyond what I have. And it makes me say to God, this job is too big. God, you come through and you rescue me you got to meet me here. I need a God-sized intervention and strength and discernment and direction. So we got to get in touch with that desperation. We think we're just, you know, all that in a bag of chips for our spouse. We're missing it. But the biggest reason why I think we got to get in touch with our desperation is because, as Thoreau said, the mass of men and women live lives of quiet desperation. We very quietly go on and look around the room at all the smiley faces and all the perfect couples and all the happy marriages and we think, I've lost all that or I'll never be able to have that. And because of our baggage and our brokenness and our mistakes and our anger and our resentments and And our lostness, all the things that have built up, we just have lost hope. And so we quietly live brokenhearted. My friends, I don't want you to run from that. I want you to embrace your place of desperate need for God's intervention, for God's healing, for God's restoration, for God's growing you, for God meeting you, for God sustaining you. This is us crying out to God and saying, all that I longed for, we've missed the mark. Oh my God, you come, come and restore our dreams about our marriage. Will you meet us here, God, because we need you. We're at the end of being able to do it ourselves. That's why I think we get in touch With our desperation. And when we get that reminder that we need healing and restoration and vision and intervention from God, it calls us to get before Him on our knees and beg Him for it. Come on, God, come through for me. And as the Old Testament has taught, the God who then answers by fire, He's God. The God who brings the spark back. That's a God who I want to serve. That's a God who is in our marriages. And maybe this morning, that's what we do. Maybe this morning, that's your interaction with the Lord is that you're going to cry out to the Lord in our last little response time. God, come and rescue me and bring your restoration, your healing, and your power because I need your hope. May God continue to ignite the spark in all of us.